This podcast was recorded on October 25th, 2020. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. Broken Class is now in session. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda. This is a show that's still completely uncut and uncensored, but we are in the process, the ongoing process, of rebranding from what used to be called Less Stupid with Thomas Huda, which I, I think just sounds a little too alienating. Um, and so we're here and we're very honored and grateful to have, um, on fairly short notice, I would also say, the flexible, the talented, uh, Eliza Kashinsky, who is running for Ward 1 City Council seat in Eugene, Oregon. How are you doing this morning, Eliza? doing okay all things considered it's uh definitely an intense time in the world but you know i'm happy to be here and happy to be able to have this conversation awesome well um one thing that i do want to preserve as a remnant from my previous episodes is that i always ask people right out the gate you can interpret this however you want what is a controversial opinion that you have about anything well you know i feel like it shouldn't really be controversial, but mm -hmm. I feel like people in Eugene should be able to build cottages in their backyards to <laughs> house, uh, uh, you know, rent out, uh, house people who they want to house, house family members. Um, apparently, this is extremely controversial because the Eugene City Council has consistently pushed back against that, um, the regulation, loosening the regulations surrounding that, and it's been the subject of I think we're up to five land use board of appeals related to that now. Wow. So um, I really wish that we as a community could do more in that regard, but it tends to get mired in controversy. <laughs> Fascinating. And I think that's a great point. To me, it's a freedom issue. Uh, and I also would say that it's personal for me. Um, Growing up, I spent much of my upbringing in the River Road community mm -hmm. in a house that was not incorporated into the city. It was part of unincorporated Lane County. It's that it's that unfortunate perforated Swiss cheese Ward 7 yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> where it's not, a lot of it's not in the city. And so I'm not sure we were subject to the ADU requirements of the city, but um, when it became clear that my parents couldn't coexist within the house, they had some domestic tensions that, uh, my dad lived in a trailer in our front yard for, uh, I want to say at least a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it was a non-conventional circumstance, but it served as something that was better in a situation where, you know, for a vulnerable, uh, family like ours, uh, it wasn't, uh, as bad as, you know, literally being sleeping in a car on the street or something. Um, and so I think it's one of those situations, Eliza, where um, the resistance to uh, that kind of freedom and that uh, capacity to operate your property the way that you please to be able to house people, um, the most of the, where do you think the resistance is met from? Because to me, where it comes from, uh, is a position of relative privilege where people um, simply don't want their property value to deteriorate because of the idea that um, other people are like having people living in their backyards. You know, I think a lot of it comes from, and I think I want to point out before I, I sort of get into that, that sure. one of the interesting things about this whole um, accessory dwelling unit debate is that the unincorporated parts of Lane County within the urban growth boundary were subject to the same state rules as Eugene was. Um, Lane County modified their code 
So the people in unincorporated Lane County within the Urban Growth Boundary in the Swiss Cheese area and River Road, mm -hmm. they actually have a better accessory dwelling code than people who are in the city limits and subject to Eugene's code, which I think is a little disappointing. Um, right. The... I think a lot it's of a it situation where you would think like, oh, Eugene being a trying to be a leader on accommodating houselessness, trying to be a more you would think more progressive than unincorporated Lane County fails to meet um, that rhetorical standard. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I would I would say as to where this is coming from is I think sometime in the past people developed a sense that neighborhoods were static that they got built all at once by a giant developer. Um, everything <laughs> was kind of the same, this sort of very suburban model, and have become very resistant to anything changing in their neighborhood. Um, where I live, uh, most of the neighborhood was built before that kind of mindset, before that kind of zoning. And so part of what makes my neighborhood great is that it's had the ability to evolve. It's had the ability for someone to build a home and then 20 years later, someone comes to that home and is like, you know, this is really too big of a home for me. I want to divide it up, make it into two homes. I want to do, you know, put in a little bit here, change this there. Um, and so I think what we've seen a lot of this resistance is people wanting to see exactly what existed when they bought into the neighborhood, be exactly mm. what exists forever, mm -hmm. um, without recognizing that part of, part of what makes our neighborhoods great is that ability to evolve, that ability to accommodate changing um, people who live there, to, to really um, move forward, to, to, to meet the morals of the time, the values of the time. Um, and so I think a lot of that's where this controversy comes from, is people wanting to keep things the same in a way that is their benefit without wanting to make room for the next generations. Well, right on. Um, you've, you've kind of put in some of your campaign messaging. If I were to say there's a slogan, it's something like be bold. Um, and, uh, and I appreciate that your forthrightness right now, you know, having basically spoken to that, you know, some people could say, ah, oh, uh, you know, how dare you slander people who want to preserve what we love about our neighborhood or something. And, and I think you're, you're, you're just, you're just laying it out there. Like you see it. I would say that it's, um, it's a little bit similar. Um, and, and again, I don't, I don't, I try not to paint with too broad a brush cause I really am friendly mm -hmm. to people with a whole host of different, different beliefs about issues. But, um, it reminds me a little bit of like, um, you know, you go into high school and this mentality of like, oh, the, f the freshmen, the first year students are uh, getting picked on by the seniors and they're mad about it. But by the time they become seniors or they become landowners, you know, they want to preserve what's in place that kind of keeps them, you know, literally elevated. Like I see a lot of Ward 1 and Ward 2. Um, when I'm visiting there with Ward 2 is more like the South Hills. Literally, it's above the city, the city, you know, so it's like literally a position where people live when they can look down on other people. And I'm not, I'm not shading them for that, but historically there's been, um, uh, notions of like protection from, you know, and, and then you see like, uh, until somewhat recently where there were moves to put, um, shelters for the unhoused, uh, rest stops as they're called, uh, in, you know, various communities in the city, you would see that like, 
there was a disproportionate and there still is a disproportionate amount of those communities, right? And I think of them as communities in uh, Train Song, River Road, you know, um, places that are not as affluent. Um, I think that's interesting, I guess. Well, and I think some of it comes down to what is it that you want to preserve? Um, you know, what I really love about my neighborhood is that it's diverse, um, as diverse as you're going to get from an income perspective in Eugene. You know, we True. do have uh, multi-unit housing in our neighborhood. We do have duplexes. We have fourplexes. We have single family homes all together. And what that does is mean that you can get a mix of people of different income levels, different stages in their life. The type of home that's going to be ideal for a family with kids is not going to be ideal for a single person finding their first home, right? Right. Or someone who has uh, retired, their kids have moved out, you know, they don't need as much space. And so a lot of what I see is that I'm trying to preserve the ability for neighborhoods like that to continue to exist in Eugene, um, as opposed mm-hmm. to moving towards more homogeny. And so I feel like that, that we, you know, everybody has a, has, you know, it's reasonable to have a desire to preserve what you find great about your community. I think there's a lot of disagreement about what it is that makes the neighborhood great. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I think that's a great point. Um, and thank you for speaking to that that form of diversity. Um, you're running in Ward 1. It's a great ward. It's the ward where my address is. Um, I did not vote for you in the primary. And I'll also tell people that um, you know I don't intend... Maybe you'll win me over so much at the end of this, I'll make an endorsement. That has happened in the past. I don't think you need my endorsement. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I actually think you're going to win. Um, that's my prediction, which would be really um, new for my show because I've, I've, I've tried to elevate the voices of people who uh, ultimately didn't win, including myself. You know, I ran for a city race. Um, did you know that, by the way? Did you know I, I ran did. for something? You, you okay. did great. You got 10% against um, a comment with, like, what was it like 80,000 people in that race? <laughs> right. It was even more packed than yours. Yeah. Um, and um, yours was the second highest turnout amongst the four wards that were um, up up for uh, election. You know, Ward 2 was a really, really intense race, like tons of yard signs. But I also think yours was was pretty intense. And I want to I was going to ask you what you what about it? What about this ward do you find special? But you've already kind of hit on that. Um, and I want to ask you, though. How long have you lived in the ward? Um, And I guess, why are you running? So I've been in the ward about eight years. I have to do math. It's almost eight years. Um, (laughs) I really should like have that sort of memorized. It's one of those questions, but every time I have to count back years and... um, (laughs) It's okay. uh, The... I would say that I'm running for two main reasons. First of all, I want to I want to thank you for running this past spring. Um, mm-hmm. I was really glad to be in the race um, with Tim, or I guess against him, but I never felt like we were against, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I always admire people who have been able to pick up the support of their primary opponents. Yeah. And and Tim has been vocal in supporting you. Well, and I I very much appreciate it. He did he did an amazing job. And it's going to be continue to be a, an amazing contribution to Eugene and the conversations here. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was looking 
and doing my homework before deciding to run, one of the things I noticed is that incumbents in Eugene are almost never challenged. Um, There's only, this is only the second time in the past 25 years where an incumbent has had to run in the general. Um, This is, you know, when you look back at previous ward run races, uh, Councillor Brown was the councillor for this ward prior to Councillor Semple. He Mm -hmm. never had a challenger. Nobody ran against him even in the primaries. And I think that that's bad for our democracy. That's saying that, you know, once someone gets elected once, they get to stay elected forever. And it doesn't matter if they're still speaking to or connecting with the people in their ward. Um, and so part of it was uh, just saying, like, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, people shouldn't just get elected once and then be counselor until they decide to retire. Um right. And so I was very heartened to see all of the challengers in the primary this year. Um, I think as well, the other piece is that, you know, I got started in Eugene politics working on zoning code issues, housing issues, uh, getting involved in those land use conversations, which tend to get pretty mean in Eugene, for lack of a better word. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes, um, strong stakeholders, people who feel strongly in a host of different directions. And one of the things that I kind of saw with that was that because they got so mean, a lot of voices were being drowned out. Yeah. Um, and feeling the need to make sure that those voices uh, had an advocate who could be slightly less stressed when people were mean. Um, <laughs> and as right. well, uh, I think some of it is, you know, through that work, through my time on the budget committee, seeing how a lot of times Eugene would say sort of bold progressive things, but when it came time to vote on those bold progressive things or to move those things forward, they wouldn't really move forward. I think climate is a, a good example here. We passed yeah. a climate change ordinance that said Eugene would meet these targets. And then the latest climate action plan says, well, we'll only meet the targets if there are state and federal actions. So we're not going to try and figure out how we meet them. We're going to wait for the state and the federal government. We'll do half of it, but we'll let other people do the other half. Um, I wouldn't uh, say that now's a good time to wait for the federal government to take action I, on climate. Yeah, I don't know about I, you. <laughs> I agree. Um, right. And so, so seeing that kind of inability to move these ideals forward, um, coming from council, coming from the city, really motivated me to say, okay, you know, we need someone who's gonna, who's not gonna go back and say, well, I'm for compact development, except when people don't like it, and then I'm not for it we really need someone who's going to, who's going to elevate those voices of the people who've been being drowned out and push for these ideals that, that we say we want. I think that's great. Um, And when you were speaking to that and also speaking to the difficulty of unseating an incumbent who was able to win once and uh, you know, not to be too selfish, but thinking about like a race, like my own race, I wish that there wasn't such a, um, 
I guess, easy threshold for an incumbent to meet where they, they, they lock up 50% in the primary and then that's it. There's no race in November unless somebody tries to run a long shot write-in campaign. I wish that we had um, a choice on the November ballot um, in more situations. Let's say they had to meet 67% or something else, mm-hmm. but I know that's that's a state law. Um and um, but the reason why is because simply um, your average uh, average person or your lay person or your low income person who doesn't have their time has doesn't spend time invested in, you know, the city, state, county and federal, you know, politics of every two election years, you know, um, they they're not going to be fully engaged until until the, the general um, yeah. or even then it's a challenge to get people engaged. Um, and and the reason why I bring this up is because um, I want, uh, you know, and part of trying to disseminate information in whatever way I can is for more people to know about more shit. Um, and so, <laughs> um, you know, you uh, I'm putting faith. I'm I'm. I don't really trust anybody too much in government, <laughs> but uh, but um, I am hoping that somebody like you will be able to take your wealth of knowledge and and be able to communicate it to let's say different generations to different um, people. Um, and I do have a question on the end of this. Um, it's not just a, a rant, although I do those sometimes. Um, you, this is actually I want to go into a little bit of a lightning round because okay. you once said. When you're speaking to the Eugene Solidarity people, ESSN and SAN, you once said you're a little weird because when you get bored, you don't pull out a jigsaw puzzle, you pull out the city zoning code, you read the city budget, you watch old city council meetings. And you know what, Eliza? I believe you. I think that that is true about you. Um, And uh, a lot of people aren't that way. And so I, I have a few terms. I have six terms. And I want you to explain what these terms mean. Okay. Okay. You didn't, I didn't tell you we were going to do this, but we're jumping in. Um, unfunded means assessment. Unfunded needs assessment. Sorry. Needs assessment. Yes. Okay. Um, so you already, that, you're already doing great. Yeah. You already corrected this. <laughs> um, that is the sort of list of projects that the city would like to do that they don't have money for. They include it in the back of the budget every year. Uh, they gather data from uh, the different departments. The different departments say, like, I would really love to put a bike lane here, but we don't have money for it. Or I would really love to, you know, build this park. And it all ends, uh, a lot of the climate change actions have ended up on the unfunded needs assessment. So it's a, you know, it's kind of where you can pull from to say, oh, we got some surprise money where we want to spend it. <laughs> okay. But there are, there's a quite a lot of things on the unfunded needs assessment. <laughs> right. Okay. What about uh, multi-unit property tax exemption? Uh, that is the MUPTI. That is where um, when a developer wants to build a property in Eugene, they can apply to have a multi-unit property that meets certain criteria. They can apply to have the additional tax on the improvement of the property waived for a certain period of time. What's the urban growth boundary? Uh, That's the line around Eugene that uh, we can't build or annex into the city out of unless we go through a lengthy process to the state to expand it. Public-private partnership? I feel like that's one that could mean lots of different things um, Mm -hmm. because it's both a technical term and sort of a colloquial term, but really 
where you have um, a private organization and a public organization working together to do a thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, weak mayor system. Um, I feel like that's where we have a situation like we have in Eugene, where the city manager is the primary executive of the city. Um, unlike in some other systems where the mayor is the executive of the city and our mayor serves as like basically the tie tie breaking vote on the city council. And so as part of that legislative side, um, right. particularly in a lot of independent power. If I were grading you, you've got five out of five so far. Um, and this one is, is also, I think city of Eugene specific. It's related to your experience on the budget committee. What's the capital improvement program? So we get the capital improvement plan every two years. And it's basically the list of all of the, I guess, capital infrastructure, buildings, roads, all those projects that they plan on doing for the foreseeable future. Um, and so it's pulled from a lot of other plans. So like the parks plan, the transportation system plan feed into that, but it's really that like, okay, this year we're going to fix this steam plant and, or I guess probably not a steam plant, probably a wastewater treatment plant, but, um, <laughs> you know, next year we're going to, we're going to upgrade this pool. Awesome. I think you, uh, more than succeeded at that. I, I, I didn't even try to. You know, even if I tried to throw a curveball, you probably would have knocked it out of the park. Well, so, I was kind of hoping you were going to ask about lock coverage requirements. <laughs> that I was thinking about um, saying, is there any other one that you want? And of course, because you're a nerd um, <laughs> in the best of ways, what the hell is that thing that you just said? Uh, a lock coverage requirement is basically what percentage of a particular lot can be covered with stuff, buildings, things like that, versus what needs to be left sort of open. So most places in Eugene, um, most Ward 1, or excuse me, R1 residential low density, it's around 50%, meaning that no matter how build, big you want to build your building, you can't build building over more than half the lot. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's worth people understanding. Um, awesome. And you have said also in a previous uh, interview, you know, I've done all my research um, that you've I seen doing the research. I can tell <laughs> I can freaking tell Eliza. No, sorry. Um, you said that you've seen city leaders vote again and again to delay solutions. And I, and I want to know um, what is an example of a vote that you would have made on something that the council failed to pass or that you um you know, a vote where you felt disappointed by the outcome? So, I mean, I'm going to go back to the accessory dwelling units because I think that's such a clear example of delay. Um, right. Basically, in 2017, the state passed a law that said uh, any single family homeowner who wants an accessory dwelling unit, you should be able to have one. And what we saw, the council has voted on this twice and had multiple other conversations and sort of sub votes and things like that. And each time what they basically said was, we're going to do the bare minimum we possibly can to comply with this. And in each of those cases, that bare minimum was still kept them not in compliance. Um, mm -hmm. The most recent example uh, back in January, um, 
we had uh, they had the other vote on this. They said like, okay, here's what we're here's what we need to take out that we think needs to comply with state law. Uh, we had Councillor Simple and the rest of Council voting for introducing language that came out of nowhere, no one had seen before at the last minute uh, to maintain a parking requirement in my neighborhood for uh, accessory dwelling units, even though they were removing them, parking requirements everywhere else in the city to be in compliance with state law. You saw uh, Councillor Zelenka making a proposal to keep uh, occupancy limits in the university neighborhoods. These are the ones that say uh, you can only have two people or three people living in the accessory dwelling unit, depending on how many bedrooms are in the main house, which is That's weird to pretty start arbitrary. With. Yeah. But also re really problematic because those kinds of occupancy limits are seen by fair housing specialists as being discriminatory. Um, that it's, you know, when you think about like family status discrimination, what it's saying is that a couple with a child shouldn't be allowed to live in this ADU because the main bedroom has, the main house has too many bedrooms. Right. And so, you know, um, those decisions to kind of put back in things that they had already been told were were problematic and discriminatory to carve out exceptions for particular neighborhoods um that everyone else is having to to comply with this i think is an example of those kinds of delays that most of the other cities in oregon managed to get this done years ago <laughs> right and, and honestly when you're talking about um, a model that makes so many assumptions about how a family operates. To me, it feels antiquated. To me, it feels, um, it's like one of those things. And this is such a, um, hallmark of privilege is that people assume because it's been, uh, because their family operates in a certain way. Um, and maybe that their predecessors and their, you know, their, um, relatives have operated a certain way that that works for other people. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that we, <laughs> if there's anything that the zoomers are teaching us and there's anything that, that living in 2020 should teach us, it's that things are changing, uh, and that some of those changes can be, um, better facilitated by government. Yeah, and when I talk about housing, I talk a lot about uh, affordability and diversity of housing because right. I think it's recognizing that, you know, we've built most of our housing stock in Eugene to meet particular types of lifestyles. You sure. know, a big single family home with a backyard might be great for a certain type of household. Um, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to exist in the world, but saying that it's the best thing or the only thing or the most preferable thing ignores that diversity that you were you were talking about and the changing needs right well i think that's a that's an interesting segue into um racial justice as a topic and i want to and i want to talk about i'll just read an excerpt from a blog post that you wrote on june 5th that's on your website it's called no more and I'm going to just read the first paragraph of it because I think it's um, it's interesting. You wrote, the voices we need to be listening to and hearing right now are not privileged white women running for political office with limited firsthand experience of the struggle and pain that comes with seeing your friends and family and yourself pushed aside 
ignored, threatened, attacked, killed because of the color of your skin. The focus moves too quickly from the specific injustices and the systematic oppression to how those with power experience and feel about it. It is disrespectful and trivializing to turn tragedy and injustice into a campaign speech. I feel like as a candidate, everything I say becomes a campaign speech no matter if I want it to or not. But if I say nothing, it furthers the, the oppression. There is no keeping silent at this moment. The reason that I think about this as a next topic um, after what we just said is that if you're in Eugene, Oregon, and you are attempting to maintain a, st- a status quo in housing that has uh, worked for you, pe- you and people like you in the past, then you are probably at least not cognizant enough of upholding white supremacy and the legacy of disallowing people of color uh, into our city. And um, so I, I, your, your response doesn't necessarily have to be about housing in general, but um, you know, I appreciate your recognition that exactly like you just said, you know, privileged white women running for office who, who have never, let's say been, I don't know. Have you ever been? Um, have you ever felt threatened by a police officer at a, at any point in your life? I will say that personally, no. Mm. Um, I've certainly been in the car when someone I was with was pulled over, mm. and definitely saw saw that the difference in the way that they were treated. Okay, um, and so then I think it's it's befitting to ask you. Um, and I would also say I voted for uh, Candace King in your race, who uh, she didn't really believe that that she ran a campaign in order to push certain issues and didn't didn't do it in a way where she believed she would win. Uh, I think that's a that's an appropriate way to say. It. I'm not sure if she if Candace uses she or they pronouns, and I apologize if if I'm getting it wrong. Um, but um, you know, I am just like freaking desperate to see more diverse. Um, a more diverse city council, not, not just city councilors and bless their heart who are, who speak about being able to listen to communities of color, but actually seeing people of color well-represented on the county board as well, the state government, you know, 90 legislators uh, right now uh, and zero of them currently have Asian uh, heritage in their family. That's to me is disappointing. That's going to change soon. We've got Cal Mukumoto. Hopefully he's going to win. We've got con fam. She's definitely going to win. Um, but my question is how will you work to not, not just, okay, maybe you will, or maybe you won't, but how will you work to make sure that communities of color are seen and heard? Um, and then would you be willing to try to actually see the council become more diverse and how would you how would you be able to do that you know i i thought about this a lot over the summer um and ultimately for this year no matter what i did there was going to be a white woman in the ward one city council seat because as you know the way that our elections work um there isn't there isn't a lot of flexibility after after the primary um the i sincerely hope that someone runs against me in four years i don't want to 
perpetuate this. I mean, I really am not a huge fan of campaigning. It's not really all that fun. Um, <laughs> but That's great. But I sincerely hope that someone runs against me in four years because I don't think that we should continue this. Okay, you get in council, you get to be on council forever. I do think we need that. And so I think that encouragement, that sort of this is what we should be doing is one way. Um, when you talk about sort of including hearing from it's, you know, I think a lot about how my res my responsibility in leadership roles to not just hear what people are saying, but to try and internalize it and try and empathize with it, to try and make it part of my own thinking. Um, there's a thing that I do at my work. Uh, I'm the human resources manager for Southland Mental Health in Cottage Grove. We have about a hundred staff. They do all different types of diverse work, work with different types of clients or on different programs. Um, and part of my role there is to make policies that affect the whole organization. Right. And there's no way when I go out and make those policies that I can reach out individually to everyone on the staff and be like, so what do you think about which holidays we should have or how much PTO and paid time off we should have or what insurance plan we should pick, right? Sure. And so a lot of what I try and do is, is make sure I have a chance to get to know. I go to meetings for particularly teams that are less uh, prominent, um, just listen in, hear what they're saying, try and understand what their lives are like. Mm. So that when I have this opportunity to make a policy, it's not just my experience that's in my head, it's all of their experiences. And I can think about, okay, not just how is this going to affect me, how is this going to affect the person who feels empowered to show up in my office and say, I think we should have, you know, flag day as a holiday or whatever. Um, but I can think about what that means for everyone in the organization. And so I think that a big piece of this is creating that space so that people who are making those decisions can get more than just sort of a survey type answer, but can start developing some of that true under understanding. I think that's smart. I also think that um, that's an empathetic um, way to approach it. Um, when I go to city council meetings uh, and I've loved to go to city council meetings, the dais of power that's a phrase i used to them once it's intimidating and when you're talking about um reaching out to people who have historically not been heard or that are going to be affected by decisions you make and trying to get them a seat at the table you know i i think about the fact that like for example um you know, especially for a seat like the mayor, you're getting just a flurry of emails all the time. But I think that's absolutely still true with city council members. Um, and so I've understood at times when I'll email Mayor Venice and, you know, I don't get a response back. But even like, you know, Greg Evans, I, I, I thanked him for speaking at a Black Lives Matter event and thought he did a good job. And, you know, he gave me a response back. Um, and uh, I, th I think that, you know, for example, your opponent um, at touts herself as being very communicative and i think and that's been that's been true for me you know i i like emily semple um how are you gonna how are you gonna make make sure that you are approachable and that you are uh 
yeah, easy to talk to for a whole a host of different kinds of people. You know, I think it's a lot harder right now because uh, the types of gatherings that we would normally be having, we justifiably reasonably aren't having. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that makes it a lot more challenging because Zoom isn't the same, right? Like you could have a Zoom committee meeting or whatever, but it's not the same. Um, yeah, I'm barefoot right now. Yeah. This is not, yeah. <laughs> So I think I think some of it is once it's possible, uh, making sure that like even those meetings that aren't centered on me, that aren't like the council meeting, that aren't you know blah blah blah, let's come talk to you know whoever, being able to go to those types of things and interact with the people who are there. Um, right now, uh, I'm. I feel like I've given my phone number to probably like two thousand people right now. And nice. it's that willingness to not just say, okay, I'll accept an email from you, but I'll accept a phone call. Um, you know, and wanting to really have those conversations. I think that's actually been one of the most disappointing things about running in this current situation is it's harder to have those conversations in the current environment. Um, and so I think it's, it's important to, to be able to connect with people in the way that, that, it makes sense for them to connect with you because not everyone's going to feel comfortable sending an email to council. Not everyone's going to feel comfortable going to, to speak and, you know, in front of the, you know, big podium um, or on, I guess, zoom now <laughs> and trying to, to meet, meet people where they're at as opposed to expecting them to come to me. Right on. Um, continuing uh, a topic that's, also about public engagement and about um, racial justice in some ways. Um, there is a mural that's gone up uh, in uh, 744 West Park Street. It's called the Fibers of History Mural. It was created by Rodolfo Redstone Cerna, who is a Portland-based artist, uh, as well as uh, a lot of other community members worked on it and felt that it was an empowering thing to work on. It was funded by both the Lane Arts Council and the city of Eugene working with Fiesta Cultural. Um, you can't see it, but I'm going to put up, this is what it basically looks like here. And um, <laughs> when I edit the video and um, it's been a source of controversy because for example, you know, it's one of those things too, where social media plays in so much to, I'd say the divisiveness of our, of our current the current cultural landscape. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a police officer who has sort of their arm in the air and, um, to the, just to the left of the police officer, there's a white figure. And a lot of people interpreted this to be a pig to say that this is, this is, uh, all the artists are slandering police as being pigs. And you look at it and it's actually a lily. It's a flower. It's a calla lily. And I'll show I'll show images again because I think this is so this is so odd. And I'm sorry you can't see them. I'm not at that technological level yet. But it's one of those situations where there has been, um, you know, me members of EPD. You know, from the top, Police Chief Skinner has expressed his disappointment with this mural. Uh, a lot of people want it to be taken down. It features uh, an activist, Charlie Landeros, who was um, shot and killed in January of 2019. Uh, and it features Charlie there in the sky with a megaphone. And 
I don't know. I just want to. I want to know what your thoughts are on this. Um, would you support taking it down? Do you believe that it serves an important function? Is it divisive? What does Eliza Kaczynski think about this? So I really wish that I was able to see the graphics that you were pointing out because I actually haven't seen the mural. Um, okay. I haven't been leaving my house that much because of you know pandemic trying to trying to stay home, and so I haven't actually gotten a chance to go see it. And I feel like before, you know, as you're saying, like, you can't necessarily, you hear on social media, is it a lily? Is it a something else? Before, you know, weighing in or passing judgment on a thing. It's really not, I can't pass judgment on a thing I haven't seen. (laughs) Um, Yeah, fair. And so I think, you know, while there is... room for discussion as to if there are certain things in the mural that are upsetting to some people mm-hmm. there are certainly certainly like our public art is is there to provoke emotion is there to communicate it's not just if we didn't want art that um that said something we would have nothing but you know pictures of rainbows um <laughs> with, i guess that's which are now <laughs> yeah. so you know really right. if we didn't want art that says something we would have no art at all because art says something <laughs> right. and so so i think that that having the discussion about what does this art mean and is it communicating what it intended to communicate is it uh uh producing is, is a valid discussion to have. Um, but again, like before I say, keep it, don't keep it. You're right. Sure. I, I have to actually see it. <laughs> right. Well, and I wouldn't want you to comment on it too much without having seen it. Um, I will say that I'm a little surprised that you haven't seen any image of it, any images of it, but I would also kind of commend you for not being playing so much into the, um, local news algorithms potentially because like they they're really good at firing me up by showing me stuff that's controversial you know how facebook is like intended essentially to like keep you engaged by like showing you things that you're either going to have a really strong positive or negative reaction to and uh just the, these local news comments just make me want to tear my hair out a little bit um yeah, I, because th- i will yeah say that i haven't like i've seen news articles about it Okay. I read sort of bits and pieces. I just didn't click on the picture to make it big enough to actually get a sense of what was in there. Great clarification. And some of the some of the images that scrolled past my face were excerpts, and so I feel like even you know, like a little snippet from a broader mural isn't enough to to really awesome. have an informed discussion. Cool. That's great. Um, uh, there's something that I think is really interesting about me trying to get to know your background, which is that um, you were the chief of staff for the Secular Coalition for America, uh, at least in 2012. Um, I saw a video of you speaking at a conference, and uh, you, I believe you said something about how you were working in part against the hostility that non-theists experience in Washington, D.C., 
which is certainly something I care about. Uh, I'll just tell you that I, um, I identify as an agnostic theist and as a Christian. Um, and so with agnostic, I don't make a knowledge claim. I don't think that I have the authority to make a full knowledge claim either way, that there is definitely or there's definitely not a God. But as a theist, I believe that there is one. And I believe that, you know, uh, I benefit um, from trying to live my life in service of this higher power that I believe in through Christianity. Um, I also, though, wanted to, I thought it was interesting that in, in, you know, I didn't know this until this morning when I was doing this sort of research about, about your past. And, um, you know, for example, you have like a Sarah seven paragraph bio on your website and it didn't, it didn't say anything about your work with the secular coalition for America. Um, though I do think that, um, non-theists are like an interesting and frankly underrepresented, um, you know, candidacy group for electoral office anywhere in the United States. Um, so what does that mean to you? And um, why haven't I, why didn't I know about it before? Well, I put it in my voters pamphlet statement. So okay, was great. sorry. Um, <laughs> no problem. I mean, really, you're doing a bunch of other research. That whole thing's just a paid ad. I, yeah. I don't trust it. No, no, sorry. Go on. Um, so really I'm a, uh, third or fourth generation non-theist. Um, my father was an atheist. My grandfather was an atheist. I'm myself an agnostic. Um, you know, this both was a advantage to me because I didn't experience what so many other people did, which was, you know, being disowned by their families, um, you know, sort of harassment in the community just because I came from, that was my family background. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have to worry about my family being like, you don't believe in God, get out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I also know, you know, I remember my grandmother telling me a story about how my father, along with a couple of other kids, um, did some kid stuff that ended them <laughs> up in front of a judge. <laughs> okay. Um, the judge actually said, you know, guy A, who has a name, but I'm not going to say it on the radio because this is like a thing that he did like 50 years ago. So um, okay. guy A, you're cool. You come from a good God-fearing household. And my father apparently reached out and grabbed my grandmother's arm in fear. Right. Because he thought that because he didn't come from a good God-fearing household, this judge was going to sort of throw the book at him for whatever, you know, being out after curfew or whatever the thing was. Right. Um, and so, you know, I feel that people should be able to believe or not believe what they want to believe but that when it comes to government, that government shouldn't be saying you believe this and that makes you better or that means that you're gonna get a different experience with government. And so uh, that's why I worked for the Secular Coalition. Right on, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, it's one of those topics where, you know, 
uh, Bill Maher has been very active about it, and he's kind of controversial in some ways. Um, but he was sitting down with President Obama when when he was the president and was asking him about, you know, there was, uh, I think, zero people in Congress who um, identify as nuns, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E uh, in terms of their religious affiliation, which is like a fast growing response on, you know, those kinds of forms. Uh, and Obama basically said, well, I'd have to see evidence that there's active persecution um, and, uh, and Bill Maher was kind of like, oh, I mean, a lack of representation is, you know, pretty active, but, um, now you've pointed to a really powerful example. And so I appreciate that. Um, we are coming up on an hour here and I want to be respectful of your time, but okay. there's something, um, especially, you know, maybe one or two more questions that I always try to ask in the past with this show, um, people who are in the political world, about music and I always try to ask music music people uh, about politics because I see um, you know and you talked about how art should say something you know I see that th there are linkages here that are not sufficiently um, present in either of these spaces and I want that to not be the case so you know I already voted for Eliza Kashinsky um, but now I want to ask you, um, what musicians and what music, um, inspires you as a person? So I listen to a lot of music. I tend to have trouble finding new music simply because I don't spend a lot of time like on the internet being like, what's new this month, et cetera, et cetera. So if you have sure. recommendations, please let me know because that would be really handy. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I mentioned my father earlier. Um, he and I listened to music together a lot, and he actually did a lot of uh, finding new artists. Um, and so a lot of my music that inspires me comes from the music that I listened to with my father, uh, which... Is he still around? No, he passed away about 10 years ago. I'm um, sorry to hear. And he... he uh, you know, so he, he listened to Simon and Garfunkel. He listened to the Beatles. Um, he listened to Bruce Springsteen. He listened to, you know, garbage. Um, he listened to, to sort of all kinds of things. And, you know, uh, Decemberists. And so a lot, of, a lot of what I listen to now is, is what, that, what, what my father helped leave me. <laughs> Really? Do you know this song? Yes, that is the Decemberist. All right, you're cool in my book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Um, I think that that's, that's awesome to know that you had that connection with him and that there's a wide variety of stuff that you appreciate. Um, I'm a rapper. Do you got any hip hop that you, that has, you know, it's like, it's like so funny and cringy sometimes when people ask politicians, whether you identify yourself as a politician or not, I'm not sure, but like they keep asking Kamala Harris who the, who she thinks is the best rapper alive. And she says Tupac and Tupac is not alive, but she keeps making that mistake and that's fine. Um, maybe it's not a big part of your background, but, um, 
Are there any artists in hip hop? And I, I literally asked this of Lucy Venice when we sat down. It wasn't on film or anything, and I wish it was. Um, and she basically said she has respect for the genre, but she she couldn't name any artists that she liked. And that to me was at least a little bit disappointing as a Eugenian. How about for you? So as I think I I think I said, um, the amount that I've listened to, because I don't listen to a lot of newer music, is narrow enough that, well, I can like hear in the back of my head a song that I really, really in, enjoyed. I can't articulate the artist. I will say that Hamilton, actually. Okay. Um, I, I uh, really, it's that cross with uh, sort of my, I also do uh, theater. Um, I volunteered a lot in theaters. And so that, that, bringing, that explains the purple hair. Yeah. <laughs> bringing <laughs> of, kids. of, of that genre, um, to, to the theater. I really appreciate it and really enjoyed. <laughs> okay. Right on. Um, I think that's just about everything that I wanted to ask you. Do you have any other things that you wish that we had gotten to talk about? I always want to hear what other people want to uh, talk about, just to kind of get that experience of being able to hear them. So like, you know, I try and go in with an open mind and say whatever other people want to talk about, I'm happy to talk about. Awesome. Well, I will tell the audience that I really appreciate y'all hanging with us. This was a really great chat. Uh, my voice just cracked. Oops. But it's an uncut show, so you hear all that. And um, if you liked it, you know, rate the podcast on whatever the heck, um, you know, share it with the people that aren't going to hate it uh, and uh, just continue to tune in. We've got I've got a show with Isaiah Wagner coming out soon, who's running a write in campaign for mayor. Um, And I would also open the floor to other candidates. I know it's really late right now in the cycle and people have already there's been an overwhelming amount of early votes that have been cast. Um, but I, I, if anybody wants to be on the show, um, let me know and I'll get you on the show. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, like I said, you know, I think you're going to win. You got 33%. Um, and the incumbent got 38%. I think you're going to consolidate a lot of people who are looking for some change. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I'm very excited for you and, uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, giving me the chance to have this conversation. And if people who are listening want to have a conversation, feel free to reach out. So it's electeliza.com, correct? It is electeliza.com. Okay. All right. Have a great day. And, uh, you know, hopefully the nerves of leading up to election day are not too strong. You know, it's, you've got to be able to, to kind of be a little zen about it because otherwise this would be a very rough week (laughs) i'll send you some hip-hop to listen to to ease them thank you so much i would appreciate that (laughs) all right sounds good thanks again eliza take care all right bye bye 
She said my shit is so fire and I wonder how she would know cause it ain't dropped yet He said it's better than he was expecting and now he regrets that he talks shit Z said it's cheesy, I said I'm a veteran getting this cheddar with sharp wit They said I'm red as a laser attached to a head in a predator shark pit Wanna start shit? I'ma say oh behave, you're in my only way I got a one track mind, that means every song is a whole new brain Voices inside me say Tommy don't do it to him, you're from Oregon girl play nice I grow a chip on my shoulder as big as a boulder though that's my new York advice Been absorbing knives stuck in my back now it's cut up like 40 times So with authority I'm trying to protect you like Esther to Mordecai Except for these sordid rhymes, just wanna flex and impress when the floor is mine So on this bad music shit, just the bars that I hope you get bored and buy She said our shit is so fire and I wonder how she would know cause it ain't dropped yet He said it's better than he was expecting and now he regrets that he talks shit Z said it's cheesy, I said I'm a veteran getting this cheddar with sharp wit They said I'm red as a laser attached to a head and a predator shark pit